audience, welcome to the Ask Sue show. It is absolutely lovely to have everybody in the chat room tonight. And as you're all aware, we have done previous shows about um, about all about the dogs that are being um, shot by police. As everybody knows on the Ask Sue show, I like to do two sides of every story. At the end of the day, yes, they are our pets. And, and the thing is, we've seen many stories of what's been happening. But then you must also think about the thing that the police are going into properties where, let's face it, they may be going into a house that is a drug dealer, and let's face it, they are not going to have a chihuahua guarding the door. How are the police supposed to deal with all of these different things that they may walk into? Opening that door on that property can sometimes lead to all sorts. And tonight, I have got a very special guest for the show tonight, and he is the Chief, um, Chief Shepherd from the Rochester, New York Police. Hi, Chief Shepherd. How are you doing? Very good. How are you? Uh, thank you very much. Yeah, I'm very well. Thank you. Welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. Well, obviously, the last um, couple of shows, we've been doing um, about the dog shootings and all about the different, how can I put it, the different ways that America is and, and also about how the UK works, because obviously in the UK, we don't have guns. So I wanted to, I like to bring all different sides of the stories in, and that's why I wanted to bring you on the show tonight. So can you just tell everybody about what your position involves and, and about yourself, please? Yes, I've uh, been a police uh, officer or in the police department for 32 years, since 1981. I'm the chief of the Rochester Police Department, which is uh, approximately 740 sworn officers. Uh, our city is... 210,000 people, and um, we um, have a fairly high rate of crime, particularly with violent crime, you know, based on the um, economics and, and uh, a bit of poverty that uh, drives our crime numbers. In okay. the police department, all officers carry handguns, as well as in their cars they have uh, shotguns. I must just say um, to you that I did obviously speak to Sergeant Collins earlier on in the show, uh, uh, before the show, um, before speaking to yourself. And I've got to say a big hello to him and, and thank you very much. He was absolutely fantastic to call. And we were having a bit of a giggle because I said to him, it, it froze me the fact that you guys carry guns. And he, his comment back to me was, well, it froze me that your guys don't. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? It's it just like it's 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 almost seems like two different worlds. Well, I think the you know obviously in England, I think the reason that you don't carry guns is because the populace in general does not carry guns. Where here in America, um, it's just quite the opposite: is that you have um, a lot of guns in America, whether they're legal or illegal, and whether it's people involved in crime or people just uh, who enjoy guns. So there's a lot of guns, and the police have to uh, be armed to be able to. So on that note, how easy is it for, and I say Joe Public as in just the ordinary person, how easy is it for them to go and get a gun in America? Uh, relative to a legal handgun, you have to first, in the, each state has their own rules, but in the state of New York, you have to have a gun permit to purchase a handgun. Um, in terms of rifles, say a shotgun, um, you basically have to just go through a record check and have identification that uh, says who you are. 
the process for getting a permit for a handgun or a pistol is extensive, you know, with record checks, and um, it's a six to twelve month process. Right. So, like, it, so they can't just like go and get them over the counter or anything like that. It is. It is quite a hard process to get one then. Yes, it is. However, there are um, black market weapons that can be purchased, you know, um, through various means that are illegal, and the people who purchase them are people who have been deemed, uh, in most instances, um, should not be possessing a, a handgun. Okay. And and how does the law, how can I put this, is the law on your side? So if somebody is found with an illegal weapon, how is the law standing by you as far as if you're able to prosecute them, they're actually, it's a good law to follow, or is it hard because they don't get much even if you catch them? Um, it depends on uh, what other factors are in play. Sometimes if it's related to other uh, another crime, um, we can process them federally, and it's a guaranteed five years that they'll serve um, in the state. However, there are... Um, any number of things that can impact sentencing, and it could be, you know, um, a year up to five years. So it could range based on the circumstances. Right, okay. And and how high is the gun crime? You know, obviously, it's obviously a lot higher than in the U.K. because it isn't something that's, you know, our police haven't even got them. So how high is it in America? Well, I can't speak about America. I can speak about Rochester. And uh, like I said, it's a city of 210,000. Uh, last year we had 218 people get shot. And during the course of the year we seized about 1,100 guns. Okay, okay. And and how much of this, I mean, you're saying there's 218 people have been shot. Um, how many times do the police have to shoot people? Uh, that's uh, fairly rare. I think over the last year we've probably uh, had uh, two officer-involved shootings. Okay. And and how does it work? How how does it all work with that? It, is it a big? I, I'm always. I must admit, I'm one of these people that used to. I don't so much now, but used to watch the police shows in the UK. And you know, and we're all hearing that there's loads of paperwork with this, even in the UK, with different things. Is it a big problem with paperwork and everything that follows through with that, the guns and everything? Oh, most definitely. If uh, if an officer is involved in a, a shooting, particularly of an individual, um, and there's extensive reports that must be done, extensive investigations. There's two investigations. One is a internal process, and then the other is a, a criminal investigation that occurs at the same time. A lot of times our officers will be out of work just uh, through that process for about two to three months until it can go through a grand jury for review. The grand jury makes the determination if the shooting was um, legal. And then sometimes the officers may be out for additional time just based on the uh, psychological impact of having been involved in that incident. Right, okay. Now, I must admit, I've been trying to do... You were very much more open to coming on the show than me trying to get a UK police officer on, although I did very quickly speak to one to ask about different things. But... Um, how does it work for you? What, what's your actual personal thoughts on on gun laws? Is, is there things that you would like to put in place? You know, because obviously you're you're in the forefront. You actually see what's going on, and and all of us will agree that you know the government can sometimes sit there and not look properly at what's actually going on in the system. 
they do the laws, but then you're actually sitting there screaming at them and saying, hold a minute, no, it, we need it better than this because it's not governed. How do the laws help you? Do, do, do you think they're strong enough for you? Well, first off, you know, in America, you know, in our Constitution, uh, we have the Second Amendment, which guarantees the right for um, citizens to bear arms. So anytime that, uh, whether it's the state or the federal government, uh, looks to curtail that, uh, it's a violation of our own Constitution. So there's, we're never going to get to the place where uh, the citizens cannot have arms. And so there are restrictions based on if you're a convicted felon. There's restrictions based on age. There's restrictions based on having to have a permit to carry a handgun. But we're never going to get to that place where we don't have guns. So that's a... a that does cause problems for us because in addition to the legal guns, we also have a lot of guns that are illegal that are used for illegal purposes. Okay. And and obviously it must have had quite an impact over the um, shootings that have been going on in America, especially like with the Connecticut shootings and that. Has that made an impact on how people are with you with guns? Um, basically, in, in, as a result of, say, the Connecticut incident, um, the type of weapons, there's a lot of review going on um, in the states relative to what weapons are allowable for the citizenry to possess. In that instance, it was a an assault rifle, which is you know capable of having a magazine of 10 to 30 rounds, and that is something that most uh, states are reviewing to see if that's something that they want to allow the citizens to be able to possess. Okay, okay. And the thing is, again, I need to just very quickly come on upon this, but I was quite amazed because when we did a show before, we were talking about the school shootings, and I said, but how did he get in there? And people were actually telling me that in America that there are some schools that are actually open. They're not actually locked. People can walk straight into the school, and the doors aren't even locked. Um, in general, that's not the case. Most of the schools in, uh, you know, most of the schools are locked. In this particular instance, my understanding is that it was locked and he used his rifle to shoot his way in, basically shot through the glass and then reached in and let himself in. But uh, the, the door was secure, and I know here in Rochester all the schools are secure, in which uh, to be able to gain access you must uh, first push a doorbell. They have a video that they can see you standing there, and then based on their assessment they can either let you in or not. Right, okay. I know there was a couple of listeners that they were saying that actually their school, that you can actually walk in, and I was just like, what, in this day and age? Are you kidding? And the fact that you guys have got guns and everything on the street, that just, I was fighting half to death for the children, to be honest. Do you know what I mean? Yes, but and I also understand too that in in a lot of our more rural uh, locations, um, schools can be um, a little more open just due to the fact that uh, they don't have the problems that we may have in our cities. So in your more uh, rural areas, uh, they may have a school system where everybody knows everyone and they don't feel the need to necessarily to lock the doors. But I think as a result of current events and uh, the circumstances that we're talking about. Um, that's the best practice, to have a secure facility just so that um, at least you have some chance of preventing someone from just walking into the building. Uh, I think that's quite funny you should say that, in, in, you know, if people, it's like an out in the, out away from the big city sort of thing, it may be less of a problem. I live in um, literally a village that's just a very small village, and it's got a very small school that has probably, I would say, 100, 200 peop- um, children in it. And we actually fought as parents for them, the school, to actually have the doors locked. Now, that is in a village, literally, when when I say village, it's probably smaller than your lodge, do you know what I mean? And, and I just thought, 
I just think to myself nowadays that you just with a gun or without a gun, you just do not know who's about nowadays. Correct, and I think that uh, you know, like I said, as far as best practice and as far as recommendations that uh, our schools um, are expected to adhere to, that's one of the first things that they say in terms of securing the building is making sure that it is locked at all times. Yeah, definitely. So, um, so sorry, how long have you been in the police force, Sam? Uh, Thirty-two years. Oh, not not long then. <laughs> no, not long at all. You must have seen from the start then a lot of changes over those years. Do, is there things that you find that have improved and other things that haven't? Um, I think you know, is there anything of, that? Sorry. In, in terms of crime, crime has um, you know gone down and it's gone down significantly over that period of time. Um, you know, we've had our peaks and valleys, but I think the the most violent time was in the early '90s, say '90 to '95. And uh, since that time, it's been on a steady decline. Right. See, it's quite funny how you're saying that the, 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 the everything's dropping as far as the crime rate, but we've still got this issue over gun crime. But if it's coming down, it obviously isn't, you know, the crime rate of the guns isn't going up so much. Is that true? No, it's not a matter of. I think what, is ha what has happened is actually is that you have is more high-profile incidents. So going back, yeah. like I said, to the, the early 90s, you may have a lot of shootings, where nowadays you may have one shooting, but it, a lot of people are shot. That's the, the difference that you see. And, you know, we don't necessarily have those type of shootings in the city here. They tend to be um, a little more, um, I would say, suburban or rural where those type shootings occur. Right. Okay. Okay. It fascinates me, especially being in the UK, and I love it, like I said, that I love to sit in the gone vents and listen to other sides. But I want to um, move over with you now as far as um, the dog shootings that's been going on. And I know a lot of people have been affected by this because, you know, um, a lot of us are um, owners of dogs and everything. Have you got a dog yourself? Yes, I do. So, And what sort of dog is it? I have a old Boston Bulldog. Oh, beautiful. I must admit, I've got a Rottweiler and two Labrador um, crosses, and they are my world. I can honestly say they're like one of my kids. Do you know what I mean? Um, now, obviously, we've obviously had incidents, and especially around your area as well, where we've had um, incidents of dogs being shot um, in various different um, ways. What What is the process? Of and like I was saying, to, I've said to quite a few people, you know, we've got the police that have to come in to do drug raids or whatever it may be. What what is the process of, of a drugs raid, for instance? What how how do you have to go about all of this? Obviously, you can't just go and kick the door in with no start again preparation. Um, what what is it they have to do? Well, before you can get a search warrant, we have to have a search warrant to be able to go in someone's house. And to accomplish that, you have to go and do several buys. And by that, you have to go to that house, buy drugs out of it. Based on the um, fact that you did buy drugs, you write up your search warrant, the judge signs it, then you execute the warrant. When we execute the warrant, um, a lot of times we want to go with um, with speed and efficiency. And by that I mean is you're going to not knock on the door, you're going to bust the door open, and then you're going to go in and, and secure everyone in the in the room or the, within the building so that no one can hurt you and uh, with weapons. A lot of times in the United States what you'll find is that people have dogs, but they're not pets. They're weapons in that they're there to secure the premise and, and keep the um, 
the tenants and their uh, product, their drug product, safe, not just from the police, but from other people who may come to take it. Okay. Okay. Now, obviously, um, this is where I, I get a bit blown away by all this, because obviously in the UK, we haven't got guns on our streets. And our police officers go in and obviously do the same as you do, but obviously they don't have the guns. So, and, and we have, and I must admit, I was blown away by the amount of numbers of dogs that are being shoot, shot by police. What, what is the protocol for police if they go in and there is a dog? Well, depending on the circumstance, if it's a search warrant, um, the main priority is to secure the people. And in securing the people, you want to make sure that they don't get to weapons if they have them. So if there's a dog there that prevents the officer's entry and the entry is going to be uh, efficient and quick, um, if the dog does not uh, grant them entry, they're going to um, shoot the dog. But see, why does it have to be shot? Is there there no other way rather than a dog being shot? Because I know just from a person that's never been involved with the police, I have got a dog, but she's not trained to be protecting myself or anything except for my family. And if anybody came into my door and they weren't, uh, I was suddenly frightened by somebody coming in, I know that my dogs would react accordingly because of the fact that they're protecting my family, not because they're going to protect, they're protecting from the police coming to get drugs that are in my house or whatever. It's just because they're a family dog. And I'm certain I speak for most of people, all of their, most of their dogs are exactly the same. They are there to protect. And, and that, I guess my point is that in terms of what behaviors you're engaging in. So, like I said, if it was just your average person's home, we're not going to be coming into it because we think you're dealing drugs. But these are not your average homes. These are homes that are in, engaged in criminal activity, and the dog is there to, uh, as a weapon, not so much as a family pet, but as a weapon to prevent not just the police but from other criminals coming into that house. And when we come in, the reason we're going to be fast and efficient is because I don't want you to have the opportunity to go get your weapon while I'm taking, trying to take the time to be slow with your dog, and then you hurt me once I get in there. So we're going to be efficient, and we're not going to let the dog slow down that process. Okay. But then we've also got, okay, let's just, um, I, I like to change pictures, if you like. Let's just say that we've got somebody that you have got a warrant to go into a property, but it's not where the dog is going to be, how can I put it, used as a protection for, say, drugs or whatever, but it is a pet. Are your police trained to be able to recognize if the dog is going to be vicious or if it's actually just going to be running towards you? Because all dogs, and it doesn't matter what nature, if their front door is knocked or if somebody walks straight into your house, all dogs would run up to the door. And, are, and that's, an excellent, that's okay. an excellent point that you raise, and uh, the issue goes back to how you opened up your uh, show today where you talked about chihuahuas. You know, if somebody had a chihuahua or they had a, a little lap dog, you know, like a nice poodle or uh, these little, like I said, these dogs that are like weigh 22 pounds or whatever, we know that that dog's not going to be a threat. Even though that dog can bite, it's not the same as somebody who has a uh, a large pit bull or a large Wattweiler, or a large bull mastiff. There's a difference in terms of what the dog can do to you in terms of damage. So our response will be based on those factors of our experience, 
the nature and the size of the dog and the history of the breed. And here in America, what we have is, you know, with the pit bulls, they have a history of, of attacking and, and biting and causing severe damage. So our officers are not going to let that occur. But, but no disrespect to you, but to me, uh, I own a Rottweiler, and my dog is, is my, my baby, and I, w- I must say to you that if you had said that about my dog personally, I would feel that you were being discriminating because my dog was actually taken from a drug household, right? My dog was abused. It weighed 14 kilos in weight, uh, sorry, under 4 kilos in weight, uh, 14 weeks old, and I literally carried her from that house as a bag of bones. She came here, she's brought up with four children, and my dog, at the end of the day, will protect my family and my children, but that does not mean that she's been trained accordingly to attack anybody if they're to come in. Do you know what I mean? But the thing is, we've seen... Even police that have shot a 15-year-old German Shepherd, we've seen a police um, shoot a Border Collie. And why, if, if you are doing all of these checks on this home, surely you have got awareness already of what is actually in that home. And that would include if it is a pit bull or a chihuahua or whatever. Saying that, I, I must say to you that I think sometimes chihuahuas and small dogs can be just as vicious as a massive big dog that will lick you to death. Do you mean? So if there is, is, is that somewhat a bit of discrimination? And that's no, no personal offence, but not, you can't judge that one pit bull that is trained by a drug dealer is exactly the same as somebody's pet because somebody's pet can also be guarded in the house too. And I would say that we are not discriminating because we don't treat them different. You know what I mean? If, if a person chooses to get a certain type of dog and engage in criminal activity, we will not discriminate between whether it's a nice dog or a bad dog. We will say there is a dog. The dog is not retreating. We are going to enter the premise so then we will address the dog first, and then we will enter the premise with efficiency. Okay. So so how long has that dog got to be able to, uh, and I'm going to say the words, back off or calm down or whatever, remembering the fact that a dog, a door has just been broken down or it's somebody, police have just charged through the door, how long has the dog got to, to get himself together? What the dog has is the opportunity to retreat, and you'll be surprised that a number of dogs, under the circumstances and how we enter it or enter that premise, will turn tail and run. Even though he may be a large dog, he may be a Rottweiler, he may be a pit bull, he will turn and run. There are other dogs that are trained specifically not to run, and under those circumstances, they will attack. And when they attack, we will not let them hurt our officers. Okay, but what... So who when when somebody so let's just say then we've got a home and you've done your investigations and there is um let's just put I'm just gonna put a picture towards you, but if there's a home and there's been criminal activity, not not necessarily drug dealing then, or there may be a possibility of it, but there's children in the home and we know that the dog is actually uh, you know, maybe aggressive because you've just got charging into the door who is actually put through the door first as far as a um, whatever dog that may be 
who is actually put in the door first if you know that there is a dog in in the house? Well, the first person that's going to go through the doors is is someone who has a shotgun. Not so much for the dog, but because of the fact that if the potential for weapons inside the premise as well. Okay. So he would be the first one that encounters the dog. So straight away, we've got obviously the dog is going to be probably quicker to the door than the human, I would say. And he's already greeted by a gun. But is is there anybody in your force that goes to that house that is actually trained as far as, as dog control, if you like, or be able to assess a dog? Um, in terms of the um, how we may enter and the circumstances of having a dog would depend on how efficient we have to be in getting into the house. So when we're dealing with drug warrants and we're dealing with people who are generally armed, our priority is not to get shot, not so much to treat the dog well. And I think that's the key thing that what we're talking about. You're putting it in reference to you and your home and, and you and your children, which you are not engaged in criminal activity. So we um, we could come to your house and probably knock on the door and say, we have a search warrant and we'd like to search. Where if we know that somebody's in, involved in a, in a certain type of business, and it's the drug business, and we know that there's propensity for guns to be part of that business, we're going to be coming in prepared so that um, – we don't have to encounter those weapons, and we want to do it in an efficient manner. Okay, that's fine. I mean, the thing is with um, Facebook and YouTube, as you will probably be aware yourself, I I must admit, from the UK, I have actually looked at some of these videos, and they have had me in tears. And I have got one in my head of um, a dog called Chloe. Um, and it, it was Chloe the one that was in Rochester? Yes, Right. So, and I've seen that video myself. Now, that dog was in a garage. My first question to you over Chloe is, why did they not shut the garage door and leave the dog in there? For the owners? Because it's, yeah. it, now we here's the scenario with that particular dog. The owner, somehow the dog escaped from the owner's house, yard, whatever. And we receive a call for a loose dog running the neighborhood which is a pit bull. When the officer responds and gets out of his car, the dog charges him, and he's forced to jump on the roof of the car so he does not get bit. Then the dog takes off, and in checking around the neighborhood, they find the dog chasing other people out on a pier at the lake. Finally, they're able to corner the dog between the lake and the pier, and the dog comes at the officer and the animal control person who is with him. We have an animal control officer with him. And so that's when the officer shoots the dog. So it's not this scenario that, you know, that's been painted as we, we go out there and we're hunting down a dog. It's a scenario that we have a dog, which we know is a pit bull, which is chasing people, and now we're in a position where we're trying to save other people from being injured as well. Okay. How long were your police officers actually looking for this dog? I'm, I don't know right off the top of my head, but it wasn't just for a few minutes. I'm going to say about 20 minutes. Okay. Now, the the thing is, again, I'm in the UK, so and you're in America, but I need to point that out to people. But have, if you've got animal control officers, wouldn't it, it have been better for your police to do police duty and animal control officers go to, to find this dog, the ones that are actually trained to deal with dogs that are scared, frightened, or whatever? I'm sorry, Ben? 
it, when when this dog actually was running around and everything, could your police officers have done? Let me put this. I'm going to put this. Done police work and got an animal control officer in to be able to go and sort this dog out because obviously they're trained with dealing with dogs that are frightened and everything else. And you're correct. And the officer did attempt to. Um, there was an animal control officer with him at some point, and at the time that the actual shooting of the dog occurred, there was an animal control control officer there as well. So it's it's a circumstance where even with that officer there and trying to use his tools to uh, control the dog, he was unable to do that, and that's why the officer shot him. Okay, but the thing is, would would they have still been looking for the dog for so long if it had been a border collie or if it had been a, a chihuahua or whatever else? And I'm going to assume it, that. I'm just going on the assumption that based on the nature of the dog and based on the nature of the call of how it came in, of what the dog was doing, which is chasing people, I think that's what made them call the police and say, you have to do something. Because right. if it okay. wasn't, say, a dog that you know frightened people, anybody could just go out there and grab the dog by the collar and, and wait till we the animal control officer got there and it'd be all good. Right. Now, as far as I'm, I'm aware, this dog had actually been um, looked at, looked or been searched for by the owner quite a lot, quite a few times, um, you know, for hours and hours, and obviously had tried to get hold of the correct people. Is the connections between the police and where these people make the phone calls as to say that their dog has been lost, and, and do the police get aware of this? I'm not aware of the owner contacting us to say his dog had got out of his property. Okay. But but does the sorry, do do the police have connections with animal control officers or, or okay, let me ask the, you a question. The animal when, control when officers somebody, work, Listen, the animal sorry, control what, officers do work for the police department. They're a part of the police department. Right, okay. So when people lose their dog, wh where is it that they call you? Is it is they it would, you they call, or is it a different department? They would call animal control or, an, yeah, animal services. Right. So so if the, the owner has been looking for this dog, would there already have been a record that somebody was looking for this dog already? If they contacted someone to say their dog escaped. Right, okay. But if they did not tell okay. anyone, we would not know that. Right, okay. Um, right, let me just... Um, sorry, there was another question I wanted to ask you. Now, there's somebody um, we've got on the line. I don't know if you're aware of um, Jim Crosby. Do, do you know Jim Crosby? Uh, He's uh, is a canine aggressive expert. Let me just... I'm just pressing the wrong button here. Let me get Jim on the line. Hi, Jim. How are you doing? Welcome to the show. I'm fine, Sue. How are you? Hello, Chief Shepherd. How are you today, sir? Very good, sir. How about you? I'm good. Um, and, uh, we've never crossed paths, but I'm a retired lieutenant with the uh, Sheriff's Office here in Jacksonville, Florida, and I now do uh, dog aggression and dog bite investigations and so forth. And I was listening to your, your talking about the raids, and having been there and done that, uh, in a high in a high risk situation, I have to agree with you. You've got to protect your guys when they go in on the situation. When there's when there's a high risk situation, you can't 
wait around in in those specific situations to see what's going to happen. Um, you know, you, you you've got to get in and get everybody down. So in, in those high risk entries, I, I have to agree with you. Yes, yeah, so that that is the circumstances. Yes. Yeah. The um, the calls I've been getting and and talk with some some part with some folks are are more, and I'm not saying that it's yours because I've I've only got a limited amount of input or, or information on the Cody shooting, the one you were referring to down on the uh, on the lakefront. Um, the the concerns that a lot of people are having is that in non-raid situations. Um, officers are perhaps failing to go to less lethal forms, such as tasers or OC or uh, even even uh, impact weapons. What's what's your department's policy on use of less lethal? Um, with, you know, with the humans, we've over the years, and I understand. I went on back in the late 70s, so I've been around the, the, the police the same kind of time frame. And you and I both remember the days when. The use of force was much different. Hello. Yeah. Hello. Can you hear us okay? Yes, I can. I'm going to have to uh, get off the line. I do have an emergency that I have to deal with here, but um, I did enjoy having the conversation, and I would love to, you know, at an, another time uh, connect with you to go on with this conversation. Well, the, can I just say that um, we did get Jim Crosby on because we wanted to actually work alongside you to see if we could maybe get some um, training in for the police officers to to be able to work with dogs, not just um, be, not just shoot them, but to able to recognise the different tep- temperaments these dogs actually have. Well, that is something that we can discuss, but I do have to, um, you know, and like I said, it's not um, based on the conversation, but I do have to take care of this uh, emergency that I have right now. Okay. Um, if we can give you a call another time and maybe got you on the show another time. Hmm. And uh, oh, he's actually hung oh, up. It, it, sound, it sounds like he had to go. Uh, must have been something blowing up um, yeah. situation popping up right there. Yeah, definitely. Um, what's your thoughts, yeah. Jim? And, and well, like I said I've got to agree with Chief Shepherd on the high risk entries. When you're making a high risk entry, you're going into a place. You've done your surveillance. You've got your warrant. You've made the buy. You know that you've got five guys in there with guns, and they've got this this nasty dog that's snapping and snarling at everybody that doesn't belong there, that's one situation. When you're going to a house uh, in the daytime in a, in a residential neighborhood on a silent alarm, and you pull up and there's a beware of dog sign, and you can see a dog bowl, and, you know, in the police business, we all know that 95 to 98% of residential alarms are false. You know, when you then expose yourself to, to danger um, without thinking first, that's a whole different situation. And I said, I, I agree with the chief. Mild rule with the guys that work for me is that all of us who showed up at the beginning of the day, we're going home in one piece at the end of the day, and we were going to do anything that was necessary to do that within the law. 
So, again, high-risk situations like a drug warrant, an armed robbery suspect, a murderer, somebody you know is armed, you have to protect the humans first. That's, that's just, you know, perhaps that's speciesism, if you want to call it that, but uh, that, that's, you know, the way, the way things are. But I think, that what, I think that a lot of folks' concerns that I've heard from are the, the less immediate, less breaking, um, lower priority calls where um, there isn't somebody whose life is immediately in danger and there isn't an officer that is immediately be, being threatened at that moment. And whether, whether the, the officers are, are even trained to attempt to look at less than lethal options. And uh, yeah. you know that can range anything from from using OC the older caps of OC spray, pepper based chemical that works real well on people and dogs, um, using a baton, using a clipboard, um, yelling at a dog. You know, there's there's I, I don't think I think that's much of the concern. Um, for instance, I saw a video of, of, a, of an interaction between police and a dog in New York City, and there was a lot of criticism on that. But in watching the video, from what I could see, the, uh, the, there were some deficits in procedure, but when the officer made the decision to shoot, when the animal turned from them and rushed into the crowd, and you could actually hear it snap and snarl at one of the people just off camera, and, and in, did endanger the public. But if you've got a dog, you know, it, so it makes me wonder, if you've got a dog out in an isolated area where people are away from it, suddenly your urgency has to be turned down a little bit. You, 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 you no longer have an immediate threat to life and limb, and the question is, then are there more constructive means, tools that maybe the officers already have that, that might be more appropriate. So I think that's something that, that, that needs to be at least thought about by, by agencies across the country. Exactly. Exactly. Um, the thing is, though, Jim, you know, it, it, the, what worries me is that a police officer was discriminating our dogs. Uh, Sorry, let me rephrase that. A a chief shepherd was actually discriminating our dogs by saying that it depends upon the breed on how we look at it. Sorry, but that was just totally, totally wrong. And you must have been almost screaming at that point because that's exactly what your job entails every single day. You go to all different types of breeds to be able to check out their temperament and to see what their triggers are and various things, if there's any triggers at all. And I'm sure you will have encountered when you've met up with um, pit bulls that have licked you half to death, and the main problem is to trying to stop them from licking you to death. Don't you think that that was just a little bit wrong to discriminate a dog by what it looks like? I'm concerned when anybody, uh, especially in a policymaking position, has an, a, a, a an outlook that's not based in reality and science. Yes, a larger jaw can make a bigger hole than a smaller jaw. But, um, for instance, 
you know, it's been established clearly that pit bulls or Rottweilers or whatever specific breed don't make individually a, a super severe injury as opposed to some other breed of dog. Now, yes, there's a, a larger risk with a larger dog, but making character, I'm, I'm concerned about characterizations based on on physical appearance with animals just the same way as I'm concerned with making decisions on use of force or enforcement of the law or, or anything else based on the appearance of human beings. Um, you know, if you've got an, an incident that happens and, and, and where somebody, for instance, somebody is accused of firing a gun and you look and there's a man and a woman standing there, you don't just assume the man did it. Or if there's a Hispanic guy and an, and an Asian guy standing there, you don't assume that either one of them, because of their, of their nationality or their appearance, is the one responsible. You have to treat each individual in each case um, separately. And so you know, yeah. I'm, I'm a little concerned about the, uh, the, the misperception. Now, it is true that drug dealers currently are attracted to these larger breeds, and, and for them, the bigger and nastier, the better. And, I, I, and yeah, I understand the raid situation. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, but, um, you know, there, there are plenty of big dogs that are also compliant and, and pretty easy to get along with. Um, years ago, I remember that I was with a drug unit. We kicked in the door of a, of a house where they had drugs and were believed to have uh, weapons, which they did. And when we went through the front door, immediately two big Rottweilers came around the corner of the dining room and charged at us. And the detective to my immediate left starts points his gun at the at the, the dogs and starts screaming, No! Stop! No! And the dogs stopped. And they sat down. And we secured the human. And one of the first people we grabbed who happened to be coming, running into the living room to see what was going on was one of the owners. And at gunpoint, we had him with the two dogs in their crate. Um, no shots were fired. Um, the, 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 the man who went to prison for, for dealing drugs um, got the dogs, and the dogs wound up being fine. In that case, it worked out. But in, in that case, you know, had it not had the guy given the dogs a command to attack, we'd have both shot the dogs, and, and that would have been fully justified. But again, back yeah. in normal situations, you know, for instance, this, the situation that you were uh, referring to uh, with the dog in the garage, that was in Colorado. And was that it? Was my, my, an, my confusion. Uh, yeah. Yeah, that, that was Chloe in Colorado, and that, um, that was not an emergent situation. It, was, it wasn't busting loose right then. It wasn't a raid. It wasn't, um, you know, it was a dog that, literally never walked outside the garage. And that's where, where we've been talking before, where the first question is, why didn't the officers just close the garage door? Um, and so those are the situations, like the dog in the garage or uh, a dog in a backyard, uh, the, the German shepherd that was shot because the officer was checking the property because for uh, security after an, a residential alarm went off. Those are the situations that I think that we need to really start
start working on on education and and providing different strategies rather than just shooting. Yeah. I just, I must admit, if I wasn't sure on how it was going to be tonight's show, and I'm being personally honest, everybody, that I, I really didn't know how this was going to go. But I can honestly say, Jim, I am, how can I put this, quite worried, and I'm in the UK, and I have seen these dogs that have been shot, and it does worry me on that quote that he said over that. And, and, I, I just think to myself, okay, so let's just say that me and my mates are in the U.S., and I'm a big girl, and my mate's only a size 8, okay? Does that mean that he's going to look at me and thinks that I can do more damage than her because there's nothing of her? Well, you know, that's that's something that, that you've got to, that, that, that you have to consider, and, you know, that's something that in the police business, you know, we... We've been taught for years not to make those assumptions, and I mean, I've I've had to deal with with plenty of people that were, you know, I'm six one, 190 pounds, and I've dealt with people that are football player size, you know, six seven, six eight, 275, 300 pounds. Sometimes those people are difficult, and sometimes those people are actually pretty easy to get along with. And you walk and say, excuse me, sir, you screwed up. I have to take you to jail. And they go, okay, fine, I'm sorry, I, I messed up. Yeah. You can't, yeah. you know, in dealing with people, you are professionally trained that you don't and can't just look and say, that's a big guy. I'm going to sneak up behind him and whack him on the head with this, with this baton or this flashlight before I even talk to him. And you can't just yeah. automatically assume that the little guy isn't going to hurt you because, uh, you know, you, you've got to handle it professionally either way. So again, it can, it concerns me when with with humans or other situations we're making sweeping generalizations based on on physical appearance. Um, yeah. You know, you might drive up to me to visit, and um, you know your your car or whatever you drive might be broken, so you borrowed your neighbor's, and that car might be one of these big, flashy, lowered cars with the big wheels and the thumper going in the back and the trunk, boom, 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 and it's, it's going because you haven't been able to figure out where the switch is to turn it off, and the car looks, you know, it looks like you're some kind of a thug, and, you know, if you pull up, am I, because of the appearance of what you're driving, am I justified in leaning out the door and firing off a couple of shots? I don't think so. Exactly. Jim, you, you've obviously been in this in this a long time, uh, sorry, I didn't mean to make you sound old then, but how, how long have you actually been, a, uh, you know when you really want to rewind the tape, I'll just rewind quickly. <laughs> right. um, how long have you actually been in this trade um, with the police? How long, how long ago? I went, I went on the police department in 1977, which is years ago. Um, um, and I, I was actually actively on the police department as an officer and a sergeant and then a lieutenant, um, a, a watch commander over an area of town for 22 and a half years when I retired. So I was actively out there riding the streets and answering calls for, for better than 20 years, 22 and a half years. Um, since then, right. 
you know, as a retired officer, I'm because of the, the uh, some of the cases that I work and so forth. I'm still very much in touch with the police and, and you know, in, in contact with them and work with them on various things. And my brother is my my baby brother is still a cop. You know, I've got my family has has been police officers back to the 1870s. So, you know, we didn't, I didn't come to it, uh, you know, lately. Yeah, yeah. So, Jim, because what, I'll, I'll tell you why, and let me just say to people that Jim obviously knows the stuff, and every time I ask Jim, ring Jim up, everybody knows that I idolize this guy. He's absolutely fantastic. If there's a question to ask about police, dogs, or anything like that, this is the guy to be in touch with. And, Jim, one thing I need to ask you, which I think is a very important question, I was obviously putting pictures in his mind and giving scenarios of a, okay, we've got a drug raid, and if you go into this house, is it right for me to, now, let me, let me just think how to phrase this to you. If, if you've got somebody that is a drug dealer, now, obviously, they're a criminal because that shouldn't be happening, they shouldn't be doing it. But does that mean that every single drug dealer is going to be um, a violent person? Do you know what I mean? Is it, can it be that yeah. drug dealers are doing it for the money? Because even in the UK, we have a drug issue, and I actually know of a, a, some drug dealers, and one in particular that comes to my mind, which I won't be mentioning names, but was the biggest, softest brush you've ever met. And he was doing it for the money. He said that he was doing it for the money. It wasn't for any other reason. Yeah, yeah. He never took it himself. He was doing it for the money, okay? So do, yeah, well, they, in, they, in, they, your, in your work, how do you, and I know it's a very difficult question to ask, but how are most drug dealers? Because are they all of a violent nature, or, are, or is it 50-50? Or, you know, what's the percentages here of people? Um. I've got to say first that over the years, the, the the attitude and the basic your basic run-of-the-mill drug dealer has changed. In the late in the mid to late 70s, we were dealing a lot of times with uh, powdered cocaine, and especially when you dealt with the higher level dealers, except for the Colombians, who unfortunately were always the way they are. Um, you were dealing with uh, somebody who was dealing in large quantities, it was strictly business. And the guy that you arrested today with 10 kilos might, uh, two days from now, when he's off on bond, buy you coffee at the restaurant. Um, and, and, you know, I mean, because it was strictly business. Now, yeah. that has changed over the years. When crack cocaine and now meth and some of these other things, you have people that, that tend to be much more desperate and the violence has gone up. Uh, the thing is that, so when you're dealing with folks like this, you always, <clears throat> you have to prepare for the worst and then be pleasantly surprised when they go, oops, sorry, I give up. Because the, the, the whole um, behavior of these people has, has changed over the years. When you've got somebody who's manufacturing methamphetamine or who's making and selling crack, these, those people tend to be, um, most of them tend to be consumers that are supporting their own habits rather than a businessman that's using his brain. And their behavior it tends to be erratic. 
and if they're also doing something weird like bath salts or one of these other newer drugs, heaven knows what they're going to react like. So you have to, now you do have to be very, very, very cautious versus, again, in the old days, you had somebody with a couple of kilos of cocaine or they had a couple of pounds of marijuana. They, they, it was a different, a different situation. So being prepared, you always, you know, as a police officer, the way to stay alive and the way to go home at the end of the shift is you go in prepared for the worst. But yeah. you, you, you also have that restraint where you don't automatically deploy the worst. And, and, again, you know, we're talking about raids with drug dealers, but if you look at the rash or the seeming rash, because we don't know if it's really more, if it's just it's being exposed more, but the seeming rash of using force on, on, on dogs, most of these are not happening in a, in a SWAT entry or a, a drug deal entry or any of, any of these situations. They're happening in much lower-key what should be more controlled situations. And I was I was very surprised and thrilled to hear that in Rochester they've only had two officer involved shootings last year. And that is terrific because that means that Rochester, when it goes to dealing with humans, is not defaulting to violent assault you know, to firearms assaults. They're 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 not automatically doing that. So um Still there? Sue? Sue, blog talk has cut you off. I'm still here. Okay, I'm, I'm assuming that uh, I'll, I'll finish what I was saying because I'm not sure if, if, if apparently somebody out there can still hear me. So um, I've lost track of where I was, but uh, hopefully Sue will connect back on us. Um, okay, good. She's calling back because I'm still on line. Hi there, everyone. I do apologize that I went to check the phone lines, and the one phone line went, and uh, unfortunately mine went with it, and I don't know what's happened with Jim. I think he probably thought that I'd done a runner on the show, so I do apologize about that. Um, I'm hoping that Jim will be back in in, in just a moment, bless him. Um, I think he's uh, I think he's going to be going mad in a minute. Um, I think he'll hopefully, okay, he's going to try and call back in, bless him. Um, Jim, I tell you what, I'll call you. Let me just call Jim back into the show, bless him. <laughs> He's going to be cursing me in a minute. Oh, uh, hopefully. Let's just see if we can get him back in. Hold on a minute. Oh, here we are. <laughs> don't ask there. me what happened then. I don't know. <laughs> okay. Yeah, I was, the chat people were still telling me what was the, 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 they could hear me, and we couldn't hear you, and then I got cut off, and then I tried calling back in, and um, <laughs> I understand blog talks, but having some problems lately. So um, anyway, I'm back. 
It's no time uh, And I've forgotten exactly where I was, but, uh, you no. know, okay. the well, was to, to, that a lot of these things, well, what I'm more concerned about is rather than the drug rate is, is these day-to-day issues that are coming up. Yeah. Well, let me just go back, Jim, because why, why I was asking you that question was, going back to this drug for just one second, he was actually sort of saying that if they were to go in a house of a drug raid, the dogs that are there are going to be guarding and they will be trained to keep an eye on the drugs and protect the house and blah, blah, blah. I'm thinking to myself, that's just rubbish. Again, that's got to be discrimination because some people that are drug dealers, and I'm not backing drug dealers up here, but some drug dealers at the end of the day are still family members. They have children in their house, and that child may have a pet pit bull that's the softest dog ever. It is a, I find it difficult for me that he's justifying that if it's going to be in a drug household, they've got to protect themselves. That, that's not always the case, is it? Do you know what I mean? I'm not saying that drug dealers should be, get away with it. And I, I totally agree. And I see the police point of view that obviously they've got to do what they've got to do. And I, I, you know, I grant that. But I think, again, he was sort of surmising that all drug dealers are going to have a nasty pit bull. That, again, surely isn't the case. Um, not all of them. But, then, but, again, it's one of those things, prepare for the worst and be happy when it's not because – Sadly, there are plenty of people who are involved in various illegal activities who have actually, I mean, Sue, I've, I've seen cases where some of these guys have actually trained the dogs to be aggressive to, some, to somebody dressed in solid dark blue, no matter who it is. And, and most of our city police departments wear solid dark blue. And SWAT teams wear black or dark blue. And these guys on the street um, have actually, you know, some of these... Uh, some of these bad guys of various types have actually trained their dogs to do this. So, again, you, you, you prepare for the worst, but you don't act on the worst until it happens. And, I, I, again, it, 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 you know, lumping any group of people or, in this case, groups of animals together, you know, is it, always problematic. And, you know, uh, applying stereotypes is is something we're 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 all trying to get away from. Um yes. and, it, and it, that should be that should apply with dogs also. We shouldn't assume, for instance, that all dogs in a low socioeconomic uh, neighborhood are being mistreated and all need to be taken away from their owners because these people don't care. No, they do care in a lot of cases. Um, there are yeah. always going to be a few of anything, and that's and, you know. And you also can't assume that just because it's a wealthy neighborhood that all the dogs are well cared for. Um, you know, I just back in Thanksgiving, and I'm going back in March, but I was over in the Bahamas working with the Bahamas Humane Society, and in the Bahamas, they have a level of of, of economic challenge in some of the neighborhoods that we don't even begin to approach here in the United States, people who have, you know, sometimes less than nothing, and these tiny little shacks that they have, that they live in, because they don't have any resources. But if you were to assume that the dogs in that neighborhood are mistreated, even though you see them walking the streets, you'd be very, very mistaken, because I went out with animal control, and you go out in some of these areas, and even though they're, they are almost feral dogs, they're still 
being cared for as well as they can be by a group of neighbors. And um, you can't just assume they're going to be they're going to be negative or that they're being mistreated because these people are are doing the best they can with these dogs. So you you can't just make those sweeping generalizations. Again, police, you have to prepare for the worst, but that's a lot of times not what happens. And again, most of these cases we're hearing about are not, you know, the, the police officers diving for cover from, from taking fire from the bad guys and happens to shoot the dog in the process. That, that's not what's happening, and that's not what we're seeing. In Colorado, it was a dog in a garage. Up there in Rochester, I don't have the full information. I've read the police report, and there seemed to be, if, if the photographs that I have seen, and it's a big if, but if the photographs I have seen are accurate and the information that I've been given is accurate, that dog appears to have been shot from behind, which kind of makes it a question is how was how can a dog be immediately threatening if it's facing away from you? Was it threatening someone else? If so, then firearms discipline would require an officer basically not to shoot at a dog or a person that's standing directly between him and another person or, uh, you know, an innocent party. So was there yeah. proper firearms discipline? Did, was there a secure um, backdrop? You know, there, there's, there are more details. And, again, I've only seen a limited uh, amount of the, the, the physical or documentary evidence. So, um, you know, but based on based on what I have seen, it does seem that there's at least a question in that case. In the case of Chloe in, in Colorado, we have videotape that shows um, what actually happened down there, and uh, that videotape is very disturbing. Um, yeah. yeah, unfortunately, yeah. in a lot of these cases, we don't have the videotape. I mean, the, the thing is, you know, Jim, I, I, I mean, like I said to you, I've sat on the garden fence all the time with all these different shows. But the ones that get me is, you know, we, we've had the people that have said, uh, you know, I've got to see it from, let, let's just sit for a minute and look at it from all sides. Firstly, the criminals themselves who've got these dogs have put their dogs and their family and themselves in that situation because they did crime anyway if they'd have behaved themselves, the police wouldn't have been at their door anyway. First scenario. Sure. Second yeah, scenario is... Bear, right, and they have to sorry, bear... Sorry, go on. And, and even... I'm sorry, even if the... Um, even if it's not that... Even if it's a dog that's running loose, and if this animal in, in Rochester was running loose and barking at people and, and endangering them, the owner has to bear a certain amount of responsibility for the jam their dog got into. Yep. Yep. Exactly. Uh, this is the thing. I mean, even down to we had um, a 15-year-old dog that was in the um, And I hope I'm getting this right because I've read so many different stories. A 15-year-old, I think it was a German Shepherd, in the back garden. Uh, the alarm mm -hmm. had gone off on the house. The police yeah. went. They went through the back gate to check the door. The dog come towards them or whatever, which all dogs would, to see who's going in the back garden. They shot it. Yeah. And see, the, the, do you know what's the important where, part? 
the door was only open slightly, and that's what made the alarm go off. Right. And, you know, even even disregarding the fact that the door was open, even if it had been a real burglary, if there had been a real bad guy in there, it bothers me that, it concerns me that the officers were outside the house. They, they didn't know yet. And here you had this dog come around now. There was no, there appears to have been no attempt to uh, to use less than lethal force with that dog. There's nothing that I've heard of that says, oh, they, they pepper sprayed the dog, and the dog turned around and came snarling and lunging at them. Um, you know, if, if, if their story is they were surprised by the dog, okay, fine. But we're taught as police officers to have discipline even when we're surprised because... If, if you know, and if, it, for instance, if that dog had just suddenly come running out the door, and they were there on the lawn, they didn't know what was going on, and they shot it, well, that might be understandable. Except, what if it was a child that suddenly came ran, running out the door because mom had just gotten yep. home and forgot to turn the alarm off? We're taught to have discipline and evaluate the situation as closely and as quickly as we can, and to go through all those alternatives. So, you know, my question with that would be, when they got there, did they, did they, were there, beware of dog signs? Was there a dog bowl out back? Was there a, um, was, was, was there a chain out there? You know, all those have to be, have to be considered. And in that case, the dogs should have, uh, or, or the, the officers should have looked for those clues. And if those clues were there, in planning for the worst, they should have sat and, you know, stopped and said, okay, there's likely a dog here, so I'll have my gun out. You have your pepper spray in your other hand, so if the dog comes around, you can spray the dog first, and I can keep out looking for bad guys. Um, in the case of, of Rochester, you know, there seems to be, with the limited information I've got, there seems to have been a lot of potential alternatives the officers could have reasonably used. Again, there's, yeah. you know, if, if the dog is out there on the lakefront and you've kind of got him pinned in uh, along the shore, okay, great, let's, let's try deploying another tool other than shooting it in what appears to be the back of the head with a shotgun. Yeah. I, it's just and I know I'm, I'm, I must admit I'm not looking at the chat room at the moment, but I'm sure the people that have had their dogs shot in innocent circumstances are thinking, okay, because I'm thinking to myself, okay, we, we've done an hour of this show, we've done two other shows. What can we do, Jim, to actually turn this one round? I, I don't want this where it's the police on one side and us on another. Can we not be setting up something to actually put in for change to, obviously, let's face it, you know, some of these police officers, and let me just say, firstly, they're not all police officers are bad. I mean, look at Jim, for instance. But also we had three police officers that went and rescued um, Philly off the side of the road that was injured, who was very poorly, who had been dumped. Um, and to be, to be fair, even um, public, some members of the public had seen the dog and said to the police, Oh, yeah, he's been lying there for five hours. 
I just mm-hmm. can't believe that anybody would leave a dog to be lying on the side of the road for five hours. That's me personally. But these police officers actually took it upon themselves to pick this dog up. They took it to the vets. They've set up a Facebook page, which I'll put the links into the show, into, into the Ask Sue show again and also on the chat. But, you know, we have got police officers that are family um, people. You know, they've got family waiting at home to go home to. And I am sure, that, Jim, if we got some of them on the show, they would say to you that they want to have training. They want to be able to be put in a position where they are in more control. Because I've spoken to police today in the UK who don't have guns. They don't have the option to shoot the gun, um, shoot the gun off at a dog if it's coming straight at them. They take tins yeah. of dog food with them, or, and they also use pepper spray and all sorts to be able to control. So why can the U.S. Um, police officers, and I'm not saying all of them, but why can they not use maybe training from yourself and also thoughts of the U.K. police and how they deal with it? Yeah, I, and I think that's an excellent point, an excellent idea, and that's one of the things that, that I'm interested in, in the message that I would like to get out there is that there are plenty of good police officers, you know, period. And, there, and, and in fact, most of them, in, in my experience, it, you know, the, the few bad ones are the ones that, that get, get all the press and make the rest of us look, look somewhere between foolish and, and evil. But, um, you know, but even the best of the officers, I have never seen an, a, a police training academy that, that offers them any training about... Um, how to deal with this, and and yet we have animal control officers all over the country who are not armed, but are dealing with dogs as their whole job day after day, and so I think it's a matter of just simply um, infor- being able to train and inform the officers that there are alternatives and there are ways of dealing with this, with 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 dealing with difficult and, and dangerous or simply frightened or whatever dogs without without going out, for instance, and, and buying new tools and spending money for new stuff and without um, inventing something new, but using the tools and the possibilities that most of these guys already have. And, for instance, the idea, when, when I ran the animal control division, um, my, my guys would use... Uh, everybody carried pockets full of treats and kibble and so forth because you know, you get a dog that you'd have to pick up that was a stray on the street and the dog is frightened and you've got maybe you've got it cornered up against a building and it's backed up and you don't want to get bitten. So you sit there and you start throwing throwing some dog food at it, throwing some treats at them and get the dog close enough and, and an awful lot of times you can simply reach over after you've, you, you've fed him enough, um, enough goodies and put a leash on him and walk him to the truck, and nobody yeah. gets hurt. It's not a fight. The dog is no longer frightened because it's <laughs> it's gotten some good stuff from you. It's yeah. it had the ability to uh, to su- succeed in its contact with you, so that you can then proceed from there. Um, I, I I think it's it's just a, it's a tragedy that police officers don't seem to have been given. That uh, that kind of information and, and given a, a range of alternatives to, to use, um, yeah. and that I think is important to, for us to try and get out there. Uh, whether it's me or uh, 
you know, other trainers or whoever, get out there and get the message out that um, there there are alternate ways of, of dealing where you don't have to to immediately go straight to a violent confrontation, and that there are tools that are already present that can be used, and that, that uh, you know, none of the police officers that I've known over the years. Um, have ever enjoyed being in a shooting situation, including myself. Um, you know, it, 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 it's something that you know, my grandfather was a New York City policeman, and he spent 20 odd years before he retired. And he was always happy that it, when he retired in the uh, uh, late 40s, he was able to say that he had gone an entire career and never had to discharge his firearm. Me being a, a police officer 30 years later, for a further 20 years. Unfortunately, society had changed where I was not able to say that. But, um, you know, there's there's still restraint, and you know, I I never ha- I never used my firearm on a, a dog, a pet of any kind, and it was strictly when I was in in in, in dire threat of my own life. Um, because there are alternate alternatives to go to, and I think we need to to really work on educating. Because again, the officers would just as not just as soon not be involved in the shooting, and if nothing else, not be involved in the, the two or three or four hours or however long of the investigation. But would frankly be able to handle the call and then go get lunch or whatever they're on their way to do. Yeah, with with what we're actually saying, do. Could we actually, how, okay, let's go back. How long do you think it would take for us to put in place a training program for the police officers to be able to, and, and obviously they're busy, you know, we realize that they've obviously got other courses and everything, but how much longer would a course need to be put on top of this, you know, for us to be able to put what they need out there? The, well, the ability to do so is is, is already available. Uh, it, it's like, you know since this all started, I've got a core, I've got a basic core course put together here that that I could, for instance, meet with officers in about a two hour block at a time and give them um, uh, information. It's just that the police departments have to reach out and be interested enough to solicit that. I'm sure there are, I know there are quite a few other courses out there, um, some of them uh, um, better than others. Um, a, a lot of them, I think, are, are more focused on, on general issues rather than, than giving uh, the police officers specific uh, solutions to the problem, like if, the, if you come around, if you see that there's a beware of dog sign, reach into your back seat and grab that, that handful of, of dog cookies because if the dog comes around, you throw a handful of cookies at it. Or um, try using, if you see the dog running around and chasing at your car, try, try leaning on the siren and scaring the dog off before you get out of the car. You know, it's, it's a matter of, um, of, of being able to get the departments interested. And sadly... Just like over the years in the past, it took civil action and, in some cases, civil rights action to get police departments to 
to train their officers to better evaluate the use of deadly force on humans, it, it may take legal action and um, the, the threat of uh, serious civil penalties to get police departments to, to seek out and, or even permit um, training for their officers on less lethal, um, on less lethal methods of, of dealing with difficult dogs. Uh, it's, it's, there's got to be something that's, that, that kicks it off because uh, any you know, large organizations and unfortunately police departments are included tend to be resistant to change. It's you know let's let's do it the way we've always done it, and unfortunately by doing that you you get what you've always gotten. Yeah, I, I want to just read um, a couple of messages in the chat room. Um, right here we go. Let me just let, I'm just going to go back a bit because we've got a few. <laughs> different messages. Um, Chrissy's put, it's all very well talking about dog shooting in relation to drug raids, etc. Isn't the point that dogs being shot in, just in day-to-day -day life? Dogs in their own gardens, etc. Police going to the wrong address, small dogs um, clearly reprint no threat at all. That's absolutely right. We agree with that. Um, and also, um, Jeff Coltenbach has put, there are quite a few courses available, just no PDs interested. And Chrissy's put they don't need a course to find the right address or even just to put some good judgment to use. Um, and Danielle has put, believe it or not, there is one that is going to start in DFW. I'm sorry, I don't that know these Dallas, abbreviations. That, that, that's Dallas, Dallas, Texas. DFW is the airline code for Dallas, Fort Worth. Thank you. I'm glad you're here. Uh, rescues and ARAs are also going to be involved. And that's great that, uh, that Dallas is making those, those steps forward like that. that that's tremendous. And exactly. uh, like, like Jeff said, we've, there, there are options for training out there. It's a matter of getting the departments to be interested and willing to, to extend the ability to do this training. That, that is going to make the difference. It's, it's, you know, you're, you're asking officers to do a job that they're not taught how to do, and uh, you're asking them to make decisions with deficient information. And that doesn't mean that there's not there's not officers out there that are deliberately doing wrong either. There are some of those, but uh, if, if we can give at least the, the well-meaning officers, the tools they need, um, that's going to make, you know, what did I see back on January the 18th that there have been 18 dogs shot in the United States in the first eight, 13 days of the, uh, of the year. So, you know, there's got to be some kind of a change here. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Um, I, I, the trouble is, I mean, I understand totally, and please, everybody in the chat room, I am not going against any of you that have lost your dogs. I am simply here because we need to make steps forward. It's, it's no good having a war against the police totally. We need to be able to put something in place where we can, one, work as a team so that when these incidents do happen, that people know exactly what the process is for achieving the right uh, can I put it, the right um, information to be able to do, take it to court and do all that. 
We also need to put together laws and, and um, courses so that the police have got guidance things because if they've not got no training whatsoever, it's no different than me going into a house and a dog coming up to me and me absolutely crapping myself because I don't know how they're going to react. And I think exactly. most of us would be like that. If I said to somebody, will you just walk through that front door and you can hear, hear a Rottweiler or a Pitbull or a Chihuahua with a very big bark behind them uh, and they're behind the door, how many of you would want to walk in? And, and this yeah. is where the training comes in. Uh, if they've not been right, any well, more no, trained... And, and... Sorry, Jim, go on. Well, and that's, and that's, and that's the point, and, and you're right with the training there, because if you walk up to the door and you hear the big dog barking, then you, you start going through your, um, through your, your, your toolbox, if you will, and looking for, okay, if this is a big dog and it challenges me, what can I do? How do I protect myself and the dog and, and the other people here? How do I address this situation? Start thinking, you know, getting people to think ahead. Yeah, exactly. What What do you think, I mean, obviously you've been with the police a long time and you know the school. How do they react to, and I'm going to say Joe Public, getting in touch with them and saying, hold on a minute, we need to implement this, that, and the other. How easy is it for police to make the decisions, Jim, to be able to put new things in place? Or to, is it a big upheaval and we have to go through certain guidelines to be able to change the training procedure? Uh, it depends on what level um, you're dealing with the police, with, the, with any government agency. Uh, if you're dealing with the chief, the chief can say, we're going to make this happen. Uh, and look at his budget and find out what he's got to do it with and say, we're going to go for it. If you've got somebody down in the lower levels, they have to go through um, getting things cleared by, by the appropriate people above them. Um, but if you, I said if you've got somebody at the executive level that can just make a decision, um, that, that's easy to do. The question, the question is then um, getting the commitment from, from people at the executive level. And, you know, policemen, like so many people, and police agencies, even at the upper levels, a, a number of them, if not most of them, are kind of resistant to new stuff. Um, I would referred to, when I was talking with Chief Shepard briefly there, back in the late 70s and, and when he went on in the early 80s, the use of force was different. It was um, it was not all that unusual if somebody bowed up and ran their mouth at you to clock them right between the eyes with a flashlight and knock them flat. That changed, but the, that change was difficult to achieve because it had always been done that way. And so making a, a huge change in, in attitudes and policies took a lot of time and effort. Um, so major changes like that, even with something like animals, is going to take time. Um, I, think it's, I think this should be easier because, uh, you know, there are an awful lot of police officers out there who are very soft on their pets and, and don't want 
somebody coming and shooting their dog in their backyard because their alarm has gone off. But still, you know, it, it's a matter of moving this huge edifice um, and, and moving it in a direction. And, and while I'm talking to you, I'm looking at the chat room. Um, law enforcement, when I went, through, and, and even to this day, law enforcement academies, um, there's no trainings on dealing with animals uh, that I'm aware of, period. Um, they never taught us anything on how to deal with uh, a difficult animal. Uh, I think they just assumed that it wasn't our job and so we weren't ever going to have to do it. Um, uh, or they just assumed, again, this was back in the late 70s, but they may have assumed at that time, well, if you got a dog problem, just shoot it. And unfortunately, that's we're, we're now 30-odd years down the road and it's time, it's time to change that, that mindset. Yeah. Yeah. But, uh, I, I want to... Um, <clears throat> sorry, I've got a frog in my throat now. Um, I want to, obviously, to take some questions from the um, chat room. and Obviously, in a while, we will be taking some phone calls as well. But I think um, I'm right, Jim, if, if you're agreeing with me. We we can go over, obviously, stories that have happened to people, but we really need people to give us some thoughts on what changes they would like and maybe ideas of what they think we could do to bring people together and to make for the change. Yeah, and also ideas because people are, I think one of the keys is that just like happened with, force against humans, that people need to press their departments and, and, and tell their departments and tell the, 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 the politicians that are controlling the department and the people setting the policies that we no longer want this to be the status quo. We want you to, in fact, we demand that you change what's going on and that that's where true pressure comes from, and that's where um, real change comes from, because it doesn't matter whether the individual agency wants to change or not, if, if the, the, the people who are decision makers above them say, you've embarrassed us one too many times, guys, it's time to change and do it now, then it's going to happen. So, so you know, ideas for people to reach out and get their get their police departments and their, their political representatives and their legislators and whoever on board with with a change of that attitude and policy is is, is where they're uh, they're really that that pressure's gotta come. And let them let let the let departments and agencies and individual officers know that they just can't that they, they they've got to be constrained by, by clear clear rules. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. So, can um, let me ask you, how, what exactly will it entail for the police officers to do your, the course that you're trying to put together to be able to, for, for us to forward on? Um, well, to, for me, it would be just simply a matter of somebody contacting me and, um, and and setting and setting up uh, arrangements and time to do it. Um, the way I'm looking at it, and this is just for my course, but the way I'm looking at it is to try to 
to, to have it distilled down to a matter where you know you can't take the entire police department off the street for a bunch of hours and for training all at once, especially all at once, and you, and you don't want to be tied up forever. So I believe that we can we can distill the basic lessons into about you know about a two-hour um, block. Again, we don't need to train the, the the police officers to be behaviorists. We don't need to train them to be expert dog handlers. We don't need to train them to be animal control officers. That's a much. All we need to do is to make them aware of the basic signs of, you know, interaction with dogs, and give them ideas of how to use the tools they already have to have fewer lethal outcomes and to keep them safe. So you know, for the other courses out there, I'm, you know, I know that there's there's probably a number of them out there. They can be searched out. For me, it would just be a matter of somebody contacting me and saying, "Hey, our department wants you to come up," and then we we take it from there. Okay. Okay. Yeah. So what? Sorry, Jim. What would it entail? What would it entail? For the police officers to do, what would what would entail? Because well, didn't you say it'd be probably about four hours? Um, four hours would be nice, but if, if it's a time crunch thing, we could probably do it in half that. For a four-hour course, obviously we can get into more detail. But even even a two-hour training segment, again, bring it down to its 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 utterly base details. Understanding how to perceive. Uh, or understanding what a dog's normal behavior is, understanding how to perceive a dog and, and how to figure out whether it's afraid of you or whether it's mean and nasty and, and, a, and, a, and a real threat, and then to, to inform them of the alternatives they have on using less than lethal options, things like pepper spray or a taser or... Um, we're crying out loud! One of those, you know, those portable air-powered boat horns that you push the the, the top of it and makes a screaming thing that people, um, you know, at football games and whatever are, are yep. making yep. huge noise. I mean, even when you have a dog come coming at you that's that's afraid that's afraid and it's reacting out of fear, and you and you blast one of those horns at it, it's probably going to turn around and running away. Um, <laughs> yep. um in, not in 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 a dangerous animal situation, it wasn't a, a dog, it was actually a rattlesnake, but I've used a CO2 fire extinguisher because with the snake, the snake's a cold-blooded animal, I didn't want, I was not in a position where I either wanted to to shoot it, nor did I particularly, you know, nor was it safe. So instead we grabbed a CO2 fire extinguisher and hosed it down, and that slowed the snake down because it was cold-blooded enough that we could safely pick it up and move it and then dispose of it. So, you know, there there are there are makeshift tools out there, you know. Um if you got a huge dog coming at you and it's and it's you're you're at an address and it's not a situation where it's life threatening, but you still got it to, to go check it, you squirt you squirt the hose at them for crying out loud. You know, they're improvised. What is it the um the the military says Improvise, uh, assess, improvise, and something else. I, I don't, um, and, and, and prevail. And, uh, you know, it, 
the police officers in the same in the same place. They they should be able to thinking about how to improvise what's going on. Um, you know, the the case there where the officers jumped on top of the car. Okay, the officers on top of the car. The dog at that point is it, it seems to present a pretty decent threat. So hose the dog down with pepper spray right in the face, and that number one removes the threat of the dog to the officer at that point. Uh, my other question though is if the, if the if the officer felt that threatened that he had to jump on his car, why did they wait to chase the dog around for another 20 minutes before they made the decision to use lethal force? You know, it's again going back to the human thing. If if I come up to you and you threaten me and, and I'm I'm reasonably afraid, where I would be used authorized to use deadly force, and then you walk away and 20 minutes later I see you. I can't just open up on you. Yeah, I'm going to have to use caution because we've had a previous contact, but I can't automatically assume that you're not going to surrender now. Now, I don't want, I'm not going to be stupid, but I'm, I'm going to use proper caution, but the threat that you posed to me 20 minutes ago doesn't authorize me to use deadly force now. Yeah, yeah. How, how much of a percentage, Jim, do you think, and I know this is a bit of a difficult one because you don't know all, but on a, a percentage rate, how many of these dog shootings do you think could have been prevented? It's tough to say. Um, I have a, an acquaintance out in, in Missouri that I've been talking to who now has a database of 2,000 dog shootings. I'm not sure how far back her information goes, but she's doing research on it. And, you know, those have more detail. The, of the few that I'm aware of, it, it, it seems that most of them, <clears throat> in most cases, there seem to have been other options. If we take the easy ones, you've got the situation there in, in Rochester that, again, I don't have all of the information, so I'm not going to just say, boom, this was not justified, but there seem to be questions with that and perhaps other ways. With the case in, in Commerce City, Colorado with Chloe, based on other testimonial evidence that I've got and on reviewing the video of that case, there were a bunch of different ways that that could have been handled much more safely and without anybody anybody or anything losing its life. There's been another case out in Colorado with a dog named Ziggy. Um, I don't have all the details on that yet, but that officer, just like the officer in the case of Chloe, has been charged with criminal misdoing for shooting the dog. So it sounds, based on that, that there must have been at least some other way of dealing with this. With the, this case with the German Shepherd, based on the information that, that, that's been shared so far, it sounds very clearly that there, there were other options to pursue. So I'd say most of them, most of them seem to have um, other options that could have been explored and should have been. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely. Now, um, <clears throat> I must just say, I've just got to have a drink. Hold on. I've just got to say thank you to Bill. He's made me a hot chocolate. My, my voice has gone dry, and we're not even up to two hours of a show yet. <laughs> right. Um, 
I've just got to say that I have had an e- just had an email of um, somebody getting in touch with me um, asking if I was taking any phone calls from police officers. If there is any police officers listening to the show and you want to put your side across, please, by all means, give us a call in. Give, give me an email to yeah, let me know where you're actually based from um, and everything. Uh, you can give us an email, asksueshow at gmail.com, and you can call into the show on 347-327-9694. That's 347-327-9694. Sorry, Jim, you were going to say, Lord. Yeah, that would be great if somebody else could. And, you know, it, and they might be willing to call in and discuss it even without necessarily discussing where in the country they're from because, you know, there's... Yes, absolutely. You know, there's some, some people, you know, that that that's, might not be the, the smartest thing because they, they may be saying something that their, their department might so disagree in that case, with. But if, I'd love to hear from to... other police officers, you know. That, yep. uh, and it's not so much necessarily the other side, but the more input from various points of view and various personal stances, the better we can address the problem. I think we need to to keep up with the idea that it's not the good guys versus the bad guys or the police versus the non-police. It's a matter of everybody trying to work together. Yes, absolutely. I I probably worded that wrong. I meant as in the other side, as in, the other side of the coin, it's all right us being on this side, sitting in our homes, thinking about our dogs as pets, um, as our pets, and we need to also see the other side of the door of what they're actually walking in on. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? So, um, by all means, anybody wants to give us a call in, uh, give us a call in. Let's see if we can get these um, phone lines going. And um, hold on, let me just see if... Um, Right, okay. I, I have got apparently somebody waiting on. Let me just find which number this is, which they're on. Um, sorry, it's nothing like live radio, is there? <laughs> <laughs> Again, let Be me just say, uh, the number... Uh, sorry? Be glad this isn't live TV. At least nobody can <laughs> see it. No, you guys should be grateful it's not live TV. Because you can't see me. (laughs) (laughs) And I've just got to give everybody a giggle today, right? Because me and Jim were talking before the show. And Jim was saying to me, me and Jim were saying about the show and everything. And I said, I like to be on the garden fence. And I like to take all different sides. And he was saying to me, (laughs) who was it? Was it Oprah? Oprah? Oprah. (laughs) Yeah, I was saying, no, Oprah needs a replacement. Yeah, Definitely. I think I think it's time for change, isn't it? You know what I mean? But the thing is, we we do need to have more media coverage on on not just the these the shootings, but on, of all these animals, Jim. You know, all the cruelty and and different things. I mean, even watching a poor dog being skinned alive in um, Korea, literally skinned alive, and his body chucked in a skip. And I watched this video, and it'll, it'll go to the grave with me. He literally had his body chucked in a skip. His skin, his fur was all stripped off him. He was chucked into a skip, and his eyes were still blinking, and he was still alive. And that's, and that's horrible. There's it, it, got to be time for change, surely. And, and I think that, in, in all fairness, I think that um, in, a, in a lot of 
places and a lot of cases we're we're seeing that you know those some of the stuff that that years ago was common in both the UK and the US is no longer tolerated other countries have have different cultures and different attitudes towards some of this stuff but i think that it's you know there there are a lot of people around the globe that are that are working on on changing changing people's attitudes and behavior towards animals um a you know a, a an acquaintance, I mean, a friend of mine, a fellow that I know personally uh, is uh, Michael Mountain, who was one of the founders of Best Friends Animal Society out, based out in the western U.S. And I know that, that Michael, to this day, is going around the world and um, doing what he can with, with his new uh, endeavors to, to change people's attitudes towards companion animals and other animals. So uh, there are plenty of folks out there doing it. The, uh, I mentioned the Bahamas. There was a group that, that just last week, in 10 days, uh, a group called Animal Balance um, that works with island nations went in, and in 10 days they spayed or neutered 2,315 animals on the island of Nassau in the Bahamas. So... That's going to have a tremendous effect on the welfare of the animals on Nassau and in the Bahamas in general. So there are exactly. people out there doing things, and and it's growing. And, and you know, pub, the, the, it, the public perception of things is changing. Yeah, definitely. But it's just good that you know so many people have approached me and said, you know, it's good that we've actually got somebody who's willing to speak up. That, we, that they can actually call in. And, you know, I've got so many different emails and inboxes every day with so many different stories. So just let everybody know I am trying to get through them, but we really do need to get the show out there and we need to share the links and let people know what's going on. Um, right, we've got to go to the phone lines. We have apparently got a police officer on the line. Hi, welcome to the show. Hi. Yeah, Hi, how are you doing? I can Great. Um, I just came on uh, probably about 10 minutes ago. A friend of mine told me that this was going on. I'm in Omaha, Nebraska. I'm a retired police officer. Uh, And I I wanted to address a couple of the issues that the gentleman was speaking about earlier. Was he a police officer or is he? He is. Uh, He's on the line with you. I'm a retired officer also. I'm retired from... uh, the, the police here in, in Florida. Oh, okay. Um, I know exactly what he's talking about, but I have to disagree with him regarding one thing he brought up regarding police officers and training them to learn how to interact with dogs, which I absolutely agree needs to be done because there are too many unnecessary shootings of innocent dogs who are doing their natural reaction 99% of the time, which is to protect their owner. But I don't believe that you can use uh, threats or intimidation or threaten people that are specifically cops, especially, with punishment or legal action in order to get them to want to do something. Cops are notoriously stubborn regarding that sort of thing. And what seems to work more often than not, I found, was to gen- 
gently lead them into this because most cats have dogs at home. And Mm -hmm. the ones that I found that were the most frightened of dogs or didn't know how to react around them were people that, number one, have either never owned a dog or had, say, been bitten as a child and then developed this lifelong fear. And it's really, you know, it's it's sort of like the way they have inmates in prison learn to feel empathy by training dogs for Mm in-service to people. Well, I think that's a good way to go about it with police officers rather than approaching it as a, you're going to learn this thing about, you're going to learn to love dogs or else we're going to charge you with something. It'd be more, you know, I think you'd get a better result if you said, Mm -hmm. you know, anybody who is unfamiliar with dogs or anybody who wants to, you know, learn a little bit more. I mean, and, and yeah, make it mandatory for, say, a day of training while they're in the academy and then do a complete departmental in-service, you know. And it could be for an hour, a couple of hours, whatever. But, you know, in my experience, there were only, there were two times when I had a dog bite me. And both times, I never blamed the dog. The dog was just doing what it thought it should be doing because they thought we were hurting the owner by trying to put them in handcuffs. And I never took that out on the dog. But a lot of cops, you know, they don't know what to do. And they don't have the time to necessarily go find a a hose to go hose a dog down if they're in an unfamiliar house and they don't know where that stuff is. Or like me, when I work night shift, if I was searching a house on an alarm call, I couldn't tell you where the hose was. Now, I did never run from dogs. That was the first mistake I thought most people made, is dogs instinctively chase, whether you're a human, another dog, or a small animal. And that's the first thing you have to be taught, is to not run. And it's, I know it's instinctual in humans to have a dog running at you and barking to want to run the other way, but you're just kicking that dog's internal instincts up 15 knots. So my opinion is two things. Number one, approach officers as with this is a great learning experience, and, you know, because we want to teach you how to, you know, almost be sort of a dog whisperer. Cops have, you, you have to agree, cops have big egos. And the more you can think, make a cop think he or she is doing something that maybe nobody else can do, the more they like it. So, yeah, you know, I, I'm not, I would have to agree, agree with you on that completely. And, and I'm sorry if I, if, if, if I, if I, I think I kind of was mis, uh, misspoke. Um, the individual officers, yeah, it's the best way to do it is get the individual officers interested and, like you said, make them make them something special. Guys love that stuff. Uh, what I was talking about with the civil issues is not the individual officers, but as, as you well know, sometimes departments become such a, a, a huge thing to move. It's so tough to move a department at, at oh. the executive level that, you, that Absolutely. It, it almost has to be that okay, you're going to have to train your department or you're going to get sued next time. Not the individual guys. They, they, yeah, they, they eat this stuff up. 
You know, so you should know. Good. How many years were you on? 22. Okay. And so you had enough experience to know that when, whenever the department is ordered to do something, you know, if they don't want to do it, they, they pass that attitude on down. And it, it trickles oh, yeah. down to the ones that are taught. I mean, so you even have to approach the people who are going to be, uh, you know, in charge of deciding whether this program would be taken in, into consideration, you know, into understanding, you know, why it would be such a great thing. Because they're all about PR. I don't know a police department yet mm-hmm. that isn't more worried about its public image than anything else. So the more they look, our officers are empathetic, and you know they they're learning about dogs so that they can cut down on the number of you know dog deaths. But by the same token, you and I both know that there are people in the department that get a secret kick out of killing dogs. They might not admit it. There are some that will, but those people have to be turned in. They have to. Right. Exactly. Exactly, yeah. and um, were you on long enough ago that you remember when we first started getting the uh, the mandatory domestic violence training? Yep. Okay. Yeah. See, the next one of the things that I'm, I'm, I'm looking at, if you'll remember back, it wasn't until a number of cases where departments were getting sued because the officers were going, ah, well, it's just a guy beating his wife, it's no big deal. And the departments, you know, had to be, sadly, in a lot of cases, taken taken to task to even get that training going. And then, I mean, I remember sitting in an early class uh, that was given by by a group down here, uh, trying to train the guys. And unfortunately, the uh, the, the person, the, the class, very quickly, because of the attitudes of some of the officers. Uh, deteriorated into uh, being a screaming match because mm-hmm. uh, there was no connection there. And I, I agree with you. We've got you've got we've got to reach out and get buy-in from both the upper levels and the lower levels. But sometimes to move that huge that huge dead weight of of, of a government agency, you know, yeah, they're 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 really sensitive to PR, and that's. That's the carrot end of, of, of the thing, but sometimes you've got to have that stick back behind them. And, but see, and, I'm, you know, I'm yeah. still, I, you know what, I'm going to disagree with you again. Because, you know what, all that domestic violence stuff, as, as thrilled as I was that it, it was enacted so I could actually help my victims, it hasn't helped. Because even today, not so long ago, when I, probably my very best friend called me, because her husband had struck her, and the officers that showed up just said, you know, because of the circumstances, which I'm not going to go into because it would Uh identify her, but, you know, they just said, oh, well, that would sound silly to make a report like that. And if you read the statutes, the statutes say all somebody has to do is indicate that they're going to commit violence against you. They don't even actually actually have to do it, and, you know. And right. I called the city council, or I talked to the city council person in my city, and 
she was going to get right back to me, and guess what? I haven't heard a word, because I wanted to talk to those officers that went out to my friend's house, who, and she used to work on the police department. But, mm-hmm. you know, they just didn't hear. So shoving stuff down people's throats, whether it's the command officers, whether it's the officers themselves, it never works. You always have to approach it as, look how much you're going to benefit from this, either personally or monetarily or, you know, as far as public relations. Because it's that, like that old thing my grandmother said, you catch more flies with honey than you do vinegar. And yeah, I just don't believe you can just tell people that. Yeah, and that's a good point, and, I, and, I, and I've got to say that the more I think about it, the, 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 the more I have to agree with you, um, because, as you said, with the domestic violence issues, we still have too many departments and too many people out there that don't take it seriously. And uh, look, at, look at the issues we have with trying to enforce uh, the animal cruelty laws. There are, there are state attorneys and judges who will look at it, and I've had when I was running an animal control agency out in West Florida, I had them look at it and go, why are you wasting my time with this? This is stupid. So, right, because you know, animals, dogs are looked at as just property. Right. And so, yeah. and, and, unfor- and unfortunately, uh, on the domestic violence end, you know, so were women for way too, for way too long. So, you know, it's... Um, yeah, I, I, I would agree with you that, then that this, it's more important to get buy-in and to, to, to approach them on a positive level. And the idea of, of approaching for positive PI or, or PR would, uh, would definitely probably be the most successful because if they look like they're doing something positive, it's going to get them, um, get them more, more uh, good stuff from the, from the, from the community. You know, and, okay. and I'm sorry. sorry. I'm sorry. Sorry. Can I just say something, and then I just need to check the phone lines. Um, can I just say, that's all well and good, and I totally agree with what both of you are saying. But then, like you said, you have got these people who get a buzz out of killing dogs. You've got people that think women need to just grow up and not bother calling police because their husbands batter them and they think that they deserve it or whatever. They're never, ever going to say, oh, yeah, we'll go on a training course. So how are we going to get them sorts of people on if we don't insist that they go on it? Oh, well, um, what I'm not saying is not don't, don't not say they have to have a course. Make it sound like it's a fun thing. I mean, I know, this sounds really simplistic. And it almost right. sounds I, like you're dealing with can children. Can I just interrupt you? Sorry, can I just yeah, interrupt you? We're going into the next two hours. Now, I'm not sure how this is going to work, if we'll actually get cut off or it's going to continue through. So if we do, please call back into the show, won't you? Okay. Okay. I'm not sure how it's going to work. (laughs) So we'll just go with it, okay? Okay. If anybody's on the phone lines, please ring back in. We'll see how it goes because we're obviously going into the next two hours show and I'm not sure if it's it. So anybody's on the phone lines, if it does cut off, please ring back into the show, okay? Absolutely. So carry on and I'll just check the phone lines, okay? Yeah, and I can stick around for a little bit longer, Sue, but I'm going to have to bug out on you here in about ten minutes. Okay, that's fine. Okay, so you want to carry on talking, then I'll just check out the phone line. I think it's going to carry on with it, hopefully. But I'll have to check the phone lines in a second anyway. Hold a minute. I think it's going to just... 
<laughs> Sorry. <laughs> right. <laughs> 